So uh, good to see you all. Uh, our, our focus this year uh, is, is coming clear. Uh, it has been uh, Trinitarian. Some of you may not have picked up on that. <laughs> Uh, on God in three persons, and so we began the year talking about uh, Jesus and the person of Jesus, and then during the winter we uh, were focusing upon the Holy Spirit, and uh, now we're going to take several weeks to consider uh, the person of God, and, and to, to do so we're going to turn to an important passage in uh, the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, uh, where we're going to focus our attention particularly uh, for the next several weeks on a passage in uh, chapter uh, 34. And uh, it's these verses, uh, we'll be up there on the screen in a minute. Um, uh, this is uh, Exodus 34, and I'm going to read to you um, verses uh, 5 and, and following, uh, just to warn you to the text. They're, so Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, that, that is with Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is God's Word, and uh, with this text as our starting point, we're going to be looking at different aspects of how God uh, reveals Himself there, His mercy, His grace, His slowness to anger, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, uh, etc. in uh, the next several weeks. And tonight we're just going to focus um, uh, on the, the very opening that uh, the Lord, uh, it says, proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord. And it's interesting because uh, more than once in the book of Exodus we find Moses in effect asking God, who are you? One of the central themes of the book of Exodus uh, is, is that here we find over and over again God making himself known. And uh, I think it might help, some of you may know this context, uh, chapter 34, but let's take a few minutes to sketch out the context before we think uh, a little bit more about what we're seeing here. This is a critical moment in the, the, the Old Testament history. Long previous, uh, uh, after the, the God's good creation is plunged into sin and, and ruin and, and death, uh, God subsequently appears to a man uh, who you recognize his name as Abraham, and he promises to Abraham that he's going to make of him a great nation, uh, that he's going to uh, bring him into a land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that through this one man and through his uh, descendants, God's intent was to bring blessing to all of the nations. And subsequently, uh, as, as many of you know, uh, Abraham's descendants uh, became enslaved in Egypt and oppressed there. Uh, and now uh, God hears their, their cries for deliverance, and under this man, Moses, 
uh, God delivers Israel out of their bondage and is, in the book of Exodus, uh, not only delivering them, but in this section that we read tonight, he's right in the middle of the process of establishing his, his covenant uh, relationship with his, his redeemed, his delivered people, and bringing them in, into the land of, of promise. And so they've come to Mount Sinai, where God has, has been, Moses has been meeting with God, and God's been communicating uh, uh, to Moses the, the stipulations of this covenant, uh, the law, uh, to, to Moses and through Moses to the people uh, of Israel. And right in the midst of all of this, I mean, there's, this is where we get the Ten Commandments and then um, uh, extended a portion of, of God's law and then all sorts of instructions about uh, the construction of a tabernacle. And right in the middle of this uh, section, um, a crisis occurs because Moses uh, is, is up on the mountain and the people start to get a little bit nervous that he's been up there too long and they're wondering what has become of Moses. And so the text says that when the people saw that Moses delayed from coming down from the mountain, I think partly uh, out of fear and maybe a spirit of panic, the text describes how the people rebelled against God, and they fashioned the, the infamous golden calf, and they begin to worship it and engage in all kinds of uh, uh, revelry. And this leads to a terrible crisis moment in which God, uh, knowing what's happening, he tells Moses, of course, and he threatens to withdraw from the people in judgment. And so you have this extraordinary section of Scripture where Moses pleads with God on behalf of the people, and he, and he asks God uh, to remember the promises that he made to Abraham and, and to Abraham's uh, descendants, Isaac and Jacob. It's a very unusual narrative. And, and, and in this, Moses, as God relents and says, okay, I, I won't destroy them. Um, but Moses wants assurances from God that God is not going to abandon them. He wants assurances of God's presence. Because both he and the people, as they begin to realize the, the trouble they're in with God, they recognize that if God is not with them, they are lost. They're without hope. And so Moses pleads with God, and he asks him to, to give some assurance. Um, and specifically, he makes a very audacious request of God. He says, God, just so I know that you're going to go with us, show me your glory. <laughs> Pretty amazing, right? And, and it's, in, it's in response to that request. That comes a, a little bit earlier than our text tonight. But it's in response to that uh, that God, God answers Moses and and he says, "Well, I will." In effect, he says, "Well, I, I can't show you my full glory; it'll kill you." Um, but he says, "I will make my goodness pass before you." And notice the language again, similar to what we see here. And uh, he says, "I'll make my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord." And, and so in this event, we have this remarkable record of this extraordinary uh, appearance of God. Uh, the theologians would call this a theophany, uh, 
uh, an extraordinary appearance of God in which God tells Moses and, and us some of what he wants us to know about who he is. And that's why we're focusing on this passage. So we find Moses here, in effect, in a moment of crisis, uh, asking God, who are you? That's what an important question. There's hardly a more important question that you can ask. Who are you, God? And so we do well to listen to how God answers, both tonight and in the weeks to come. Tonight, just the very first part, where the Lord descends in the clouds, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name. Proclaimed the Lord. The Lord. And so God's answer in the first place to Moses is to tell him his name. And let me suggest one way this is important. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10 says, Those who know your name, speaking of God, put their trust in you. And again, that's why this is such an important question. Who is God? God says, I'll tell you who I am. And those who know his name and come to know more fully who he is, put their trust in him. So let's take a few minutes and just think about this, this name, and then I'll make some applications. God has a name. The text says that, uh, that God proclaimed his name to Moses, and, and what is it? It's the Lord. This, uh, the top, some of you might read Hebrew, is, is the Hebrew, which you read this way. Um, and it's, it's uh, well, it's basically four consonants. Um, and God's name is somewhat obscured to us. Uh, some of you will be familiar with this by our English translations. Because if you look at this in a Bible, uh, even a, a digital Bible, um, you, you'll generally see uh, that where, where, I mean, just look at the text that we read, uh, what does it say? It says, Lord is the word that will appear in most of your English translations. Um, and that usually where this name, God's personal name, appears, uh, it, uh, it, will, it will be in all capital letters. And so whatever you see in your Bibles, in the Old Testament, of the word LORD, uh, in all caps, or, or what we sometimes call small caps, uh, you'll know that that is translating this Hebrew word, uh, which in, in the Hebrew is these four, uh, these four consonants. And, you know, many of you, in some of our songs, we use the, the uh, vocalized consonants, uh, and many scholars would suggest that uh, the way this name would be pronounced is something Yahweh. Um, it's sometimes referred to the, the four consonants as the tetragrammaton, so it's kind of a pretentious term, but um, that comes with the idea that it's these four, four consonants. And in, in some, of, some of the songs that we sing and in, in some older translations and some other translations, you'll also see uh, the name Jehovah. And, and that's interesting because, of course, uh, one of the Ten Commandments uh, that God gave to Israel was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the Jews uh, became so concerned about violating this commandment that they, they reached a point where they would not speak, they would not speak the, the name of God. They would not say 
this word Yahweh when they were reading. Rather, they would substitute for it uh, the Hebrew term Adonai, which means Lord. And subsequently, probably around the 12th century um, after Christ, uh, when, the, when the Masoretes took the Hebrew Bible, which was consonantal, did not have vowels, imagine that, um, and they added uh, vowels uh, to it. They added the vowels from Adonai to the consonants for Yahweh, and that's how, that's, that's how we think the, the name Jehovah uh, came to be. And that begins to appear around the 12th century and after that. So God's name, we may not be pronouncing it uh, correctly, but God's name, his personal name, is Yahweh. This is not a title. For example, some of you will recognize uh, El Shaddai. Uh, we used to sing a, uh, a song, El Shaddai. Uh, this is, this is a, a common uh, title for God uh, that we find in the Old Testament, and often translated in some way, Lord Almighty or God Almighty. That's a title, but Yahweh is his name. So, President is, this is God in the front row, that's, that's his title. <laughs> But Daniel Braga is his name. God's name, God's name is Yahweh. And this, this tells us something about him. First of all, we, we gain some insight into God's name, Yahweh, if, if we were to go back, and I'll turn back there, uh, if you have a Bible, we can turn back to Exodus chapter 3, which is another instance in, in the book where Moses is asking God, who are you, essentially? Um, and that's, that's, you'll recognize that as the, the famous event where another appearance of God, where he appears to Moses in, in a, a, a bush that is burning but not consumed, um, and um, asks Moses, tells Moses that he wants him to, to go back to Egypt and be instrumental in uh, delivering his people out of bondage, and Moses is understandably intimidated by everything that's happening there, the bush burning, God speaking to him, what God is asking him to do, uh, all of this is uh, kind of overwhelming to, to Moses, and he's, he's experiencing in a deep way his own, wait God, I can't do this, and, and then he moves on to additional kind of problems, <laughs> like wait, what, what am I going to tell them? Uh, when I go to Egypt, uh, who, who am I going to tell them sent me that's going to sound credible to them? And it's in that context that, that God responds to Moses, uh, just reading from the text. Moses says, first of all, to God, if I come to the people of Israel and down in Egypt, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they're like, yeah, right. Uh, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say, to this, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this is, this is pretty interesting here. And one of the things that, if, if we were all reading 
Hebrew, <laughs> uh, that we would see is that the name there, when he says the Lord, the God of your fathers, uh, that, that God's name there in verse 15 is uh, grammatically very similar to what he says in verse 14, I am has sent me to you. Or the phrase, I am who I am. This, this is the, the Hebrew verb, uh, the to be verb. And so uh, most people understand the name Yahweh is, is, is a, a, a form of, of this uh, statement, I am. Uh, and in that sense, it's an extraordinary name. God's name is something extraordinary that is telling us something about what, what God is like, something about his essence and his being. It's telling us what? It's telling us that God exists. He's not like, oh, oh I, I was. No, it's I am. And, and God's name is, 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 a, is a declaration, not only that he exists, but think of all the connotations that, that, that we would draw from I am. Who are you? I am. Uh, I am the self-existent one. I am the uh, unchangeable one. Uh, one of our songs, we sing the great unchangeable what? The great unchangeable I am. God is, was, and will always be. It tells us that he has life in himself. That what he is now, he is eternally. He's transcendent in that sense. He's utterly independent. He's completely self-sufficient. And so God's name challenges all of our kind of, what, what one writer calls our conceptual idolatries of God, by which we might think of him as limited or finite or temporal or contingent or dependent or impersonal. God is not an impersonal force or some sort of impersonal power. He's not simply a concept. God is a person. I am. He has a name. And his name points not only to his existence, but to his sovereignty, to his, his rule over all things by reason of him being the one who created all things and who sustains all things. And so when God tells Moses his name, he wants to assure him that tell them that I am the same God who spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, that I am the unchanging one, and that therefore you can be assured and my people can be assured that I am faithful and I am powerful to do everything I have promised. I, I like, as some of you know who Kevin DeYoung is, I, I, I found a quote from him uh, on this that, that I like. He says this, in saying, I am has sent me to you, God was saying to Moses, I'm not one of the Egyptian gods, I'm not one of the Canaanite gods, I'm not a tribal deity, I'm not a god who can be controlled or manipulated, I'm not a god to be treated lightly or trifled with, I'm not unconcerned, I'm not inconsiderate or unmoved by your suffering, I am not weak or helpless. I am not small. I am not going to fail. I am not going to let you down. I am not going to lose. I am. 
And in, in Exodus 34, God uh, builds upon what he reveals to Moses about himself here, and he adds to that these various aspects of his character that we're going to be looking at uh, in the weeks ahead. And because God is changeless, his character is changeless, he is always good, he's always gracious, he's always forgiving, he's always merciful, he is always just. <coughs> and uh, Old Testament scholars point out that God, God's name appears particularly in the Old Testament, Yahweh, in those contexts where he wants to underscore to his people his personal character, his faithfulness to his promises, and his uh, intent to save. And so as a person, God makes promises and he keeps them. He makes covenants and he is faithful to them. And so when Moses is fearful and when he's uncertain and when he needs assurance, God, are you really there? And he asks God, show me something. Show me again. Show me your glory. God responds by showing and proclaiming his name. I am. I am real. I am here I am unchanging. So let's think of two ways that we can apply this. I can touch on these quickly, I hope. Uh, first of all, that God wants to make himself known. Uh, and throughout Scripture, we do find God appearing, revealing himself, especially in words and also in his mighty works. His, especially he is revealed in his works of creation and in his works of redemption, of, of saving in telling us his name, he's telling us about himself, about his nature, his character, so we can know who he is. And, and so he's not so completely other or so completely transcendent that we can't know anything about him. He wants to make himself known. You know, many people, even here on the campus, will, will take sort of the agnostic position. Well, oh, maybe there's a God, I don't know. Maybe not, but we can't really know anything about what that God might be like. The scriptures challenge this directly. They say, that's wrong. Yes, we can know. Yes, there is a transcendent God, and he has made himself known. He has revealed himself. And the scriptures also tell us that not all opinions about God are correct. They're not all true. <clears throat> Debbie and I listened to Isaiah right now in the mornings. We've been struck by how many times God says, I am God, and there is no other. It's pretty, pretty black and white. God wants to make himself known, and he does so through, through his creation. He does so in his works. He does so by his word. And for example, here he, he explains to Moses, well, I'm, I'm, I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I don't get angry quickly. Um, my, my faithful, my loyal love is abounding. Um, I, I keep steadfast love for thousands. I, I forgive sins. I'm also just. And, and so the point that I'm trying to make here is that God wants to make himself known, and if we want to know God, we must be willing to let him tell us who he is. Have you ever had that experience of, of uh, someone who does not know you telling you who you are, telling you what you're like. 
This is one of the most frustrating things ever, right? And what would we call that? Well, among other things, we would call that prejudice. You know me. What do you know about me? Um, are we willing to be humble enough, to be quiet enough, to listen and let God tell us who he is? Because, of course, we have our own ideas of what we would like him to be, but that's not how you get to know another person, is it? We need to give up creating God in our own image and listen to what he tells us about himself. Even if we don't understand, we need to stop thinking it's our job to figure everything out about him and be able to explain him to our own satisfaction. It's okay not to understand. It's, bad. it's much better to let him tell you who he is and say, God, I don't understand than to imagine him to be something else. We don't fully understand these verses right here when he reveals himself to Moses. We need to respect our, our finite ability to understand. But I would tell you this, if you want to know God as he has revealed himself, you have to become a student of the scripture. Because he does reveal himself in creation, but he preeminently reveals himself through his word. The second application is that God wants to reveal himself to us, yes. Uh, he doesn't just want us, though, to know about him. God wants us to know him. In making his name, his person, known to us, God is also saying, hey guys, I'm here. I am real and I am here. I am present. This theme runs straight through the Bible from beginning to end. He is not a God of the past. He is a God who is present in all times and in all places. He is not distant, and he does not want to be distant from those who want to know him. When God asks, uh, sorry, when Moses asks God to reassure him that God of your presence, he says, show me your glory. And, you know, part of God's answer to him is, well, you know, Moses, no one can see me in, and live. Uh, so, we, we have this concept of God as invisible, as transcendent, as set apart or holy, as unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light, and yet he manifests himself. He initiates relationship. He draws near. And so with, with Moses, God says, look, Moses, I don't want to kill you. Um, so I'm, I'm only going to show you a glimpse, but yes, I will do that. Because I want you to know me. I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. And it's only because God chooses to reveal himself that it's possible for us to know him. And this is, is what makes the incarnation so astounding. Because John the Apostle writes, no one has ever seen God. Full stop. And then what does he say? The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and John says, we beheld his glory. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. John says, we beheld his glory. 
Later in John's Gospel, one of the disciples, Philip, says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. That's all we need. Sort of like Moses. Lord, show me your glory. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is so astonishing. The, the writer of the Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that in the past, God spoke. He revealed himself in various ways, including through the prophets, but that now, in these last days, he has spoken to us. He has revealed himself. He has made himself known to us in his Son. God makes himself known to us in the person of Jesus, and through Jesus, he makes it possible for us to know him. He wants us to know him. He invites us to know him, because what we see now is that the name of Jesus is the name of God. Everyone who calls upon what? The name of the Lord will be saved. And what is that name? Is, is it the name Yahweh, the, the, the Lord who appeared to Moses, or is it Jesus? Well, the answer is yes. Because one of Jesus' most astonishing statements, and Chris preached about this in the fall, is that when, when Jesus is being challenged and uh, slandered, really, mocked, he says to those who are challenging him this amazing statement. He says, you, got, you guys have got it so wrong. Before Abraham was, I am. Right? Do you hear that? I am. Jesus takes upon himself God's personal name. God's changeless majesty and character. Jesus, the apostles will say, is the fullness of God in bodily form. And that is why the letter to the Philippians says that it's ultimately at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. So do you want to know God? God wants you to know him. Do you want to know God? Then you must come to Jesus. Jesus says that eternal life, to know God is eternal life, and that he is the way to know God. There is salvation, the Apostle Peter will say, there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to humanity by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Everyone who calls upon that name will be saved. And so when, when you are discouraged, when you are fearful, when you are uncertain as to God's presence, the, the way that Moses was, call upon the name of the Lord because he is mighty to save, and he is always present. When you have opportunity to, to represent Jesus and God to others, he's not weak, he is the great I am who is with you as you testify. There's a, there's a, there's a, a small but uh, famous little book called Your God is Too Small. And part of what we hope uh, these next few weeks will do is just give us a fresh vision for God that we might see Him 
in his glory and worship and serve him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this text as you give hope and comfort and strength in the first place to your servant Moses, but preserve for us in Scripture you give us that hope and comfort and strength that you are really there, that you are a person, that you are knowable, that you reveal yourself to us, that you want us to know you, that you want us to know you. Thank you, Lord. I pray that each one of us present tonight, whether we're considering these things for the first time or have been for many years, that we will continue, each one of us, to call upon your name and to find in you salvation and hope. We pray in Christ's name.